Thank you, Bob and Sherry, for reading that for us. Uh, you may be seated at this time. Also, we're going to dismiss our children downstairs. I'd invite you as well to join me in a word of prayer as we hear from the word of the Lord this morning. Father, uh, we come to you in the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior and Lord. We pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts. Please enable us now to hear and to, to see the good, wonderful hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. Please be with us and do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who may know Tolkien's book, The Lord of the Rings, now I recognize uh, Lord of the Rings isn't a Christmas movie, but if you remember when it, uh, book, uh, book, right, movie, when the movies came out, it was Christmas time. So, you know, I started thinking about these things, because anyway, you get the point. If you know the book, you may remember a moment near the end of the story. Sam and Frodo are journeying through this dark, desolate land. They're in the land of Mordor. They're living in the dark shadows. And they're exhausted. Right? They have been on quite a journey. They have gone through much danger and turmoil. And it's just a dark, desolate place. And they're tired. And they're grasping for hope as they just wallow in the difficulty of their experience. And in the midst of this moment, we read this toward the end of the story. The words will be on the screen. There, peeping among the cloud rack above a dark peak, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. In that dark shadow, a white star twinkles. A white star shines. And as it does, they realize that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. We're not in Mordor, although maybe North Syracuse feels like that sometimes. We're not in Mordor. But sometimes, life feels like it, doesn't it? Sometimes we feel like we're on this arduous, dark, despairing journey. We come to realize that we live in a world that's broken. It's broken and evil. And there's so much wrong going on and so much to be concerned about that we can easily find ourselves living in the under the cloud, the shadow the difficulty of this broken, sinful world. And so we long for hope. And we wonder, where is this star? Where is anything that would shine upon us 
in our difficulties. Where is this hope? Well, the last three weeks in this short Advent series, we've heard that this hope is always found in the Word of God. That the people of God, living in this dark world, can always turn and see even a twinkle When everything seems lost, when maybe one might conclude that God has abandoned us, there is this twinkle, this star, this promise that we have. Isaiah 2, Isaiah 5, I'm sorry, Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. We saw that in the midst of this darkness and desolation that was coming to the people of Israel, that there's a star shining. And it's the promise of God. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to follow along with me. There may be some words as well projected on the screen. Here we see verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Certain words, certain phrases have meaning all packaged up in them. If I say 9-11, there's a whole realm of experiences and feelings that you have when I say that word. When I say Christmas, there's a whole experience and, and feeling that comes with that word. It's a loaded term with a lot of expectations and experiences that come with it. You read a phrase like this for the people Back then, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. There's a whole mess of meaning and expectation that's, that's inside that name Jesse. A stump from him. When you heard Jesse, you immediately thought of David. And when you think of David, You think immediately of the promises and the covenant that was made with him that one of his sons would sit on the throne of Israel forever to deliver them from their enemies. When we hear that, conjures up such expectation that God would provide a king. Isaiah is saying, in the midst of this mess, in the midst of the desolation, in the midst of the darkness of your day, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. If you look back on the last few chapters, again, to understand the context a little bit more, that basically God was promising that all human pride would be judged. Ahaz had pride. He didn't need God's help. He'd figure it out on his own. And the Lord said that he would judge Ahaz. Assyria would be the strong forest that would protect them. And even that, God said that he would wipe out Assyria. And that really this picture of this strong forest, Assyria, would be chopped down all the way to the roots. And so here we come to 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 chapter 11 and this this picture of judgment that's going to come on all forms of human pride. And that basically all would be desolate. That that they have this sense like, well, if if all this is going to take place, what hope do we have? If all's going to be chopped down, what hope do we have? 
to be God's people, living in God's blessing, in God's place, what hope do we have? He says, here it is. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You can imagine this forest all chopped down, right down to the stump. And the darkness of that, and just out of the corner of your eye, not a star, but just a shoot, a small root that is slowly coming out from one of the stumps. Signs of life in the midst of such darkness and death. That's what they heard. When all was lost, when all seemed gone, when nothing was left, blessings seemed so far from us, when the life that we have or the life that we long for seems so far and seems gone, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Such powerful images that provide hope. And all that hope was going to be in a son of Jesse, a son of David, who would be a king. That's where all their hope was. All of our hope to live in God's blessing is in the rule of God's king. That's what this passage is all about. All of our hope for living in God's blessing is in the rule of God's king. If we're going to have any hope, it's going to be in God's king. Not in something else, not in anyone else. All of our hope for living in God's blessing is in the rule of God's king. Why God's king? And that's basically the rest of this message. Three reasons I want to give you why you need to place your hope in this promise. And this promise is one that tells us that we can expect God to provide a king. Why this king? Why God's king? Three reasons. First of all, because of the kind of king that he would be. Because you hear this, and you're listening, you say, wait, you're hearing this promise of a, a shoot from Jesse. Hey, thanks Isaiah, appreciate it. We've had that. We got one, actually. Ahaz is the son of David. He's a stump from Jesse, right? We have Ahaz. But how could you hope? How could the people of God hope in Ahaz or any other king, human king for that matter? How could they? Look at the kind of king that Ahaz was. We, we know who he was. he was. He was full of pride. He was full of unbelief. He was full of fear. And his pride, his unbelief, and his fear were the very things that guided him and led him as he ruled over the people. But this promised king, this shoot of Jesse will stand in contrast to Ahaz. Look at what it says, right? The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This king that I'm providing for you, this king will not be full of pride. He will not be full of unbelief. He will not be full of fear. No, this king would operate out of a capacity that was beyond human, full of the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? This king would be full of the Spirit of the Lord. This king would be full of wisdom. This king that I'm promising would be full of understanding. This king would be full of counsel and might, and he would live in the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. 
This king that I promised to you is a very different kind of king than Ahaz. When all human kings let us down, we can place our faith, hope, and trust in God's king. Amen? That's what he's saying. Such a king would bring about God's blessing for God's people. That kind of king. Oswald says this, If there should come one in whom God's spirit could dwell completely and purely, that person could be the savior of the world. Could you imagine? If God's king would be full of his spirit, purely and completely, that king could be the savior of the world. Does the world not need a savior, people? Do we not need to be saved? We do. We find that salvation in the spirit-indwelled king, the son of David. All of our hope for living in God's blessing is in the rule of God's king. Why? Because of the kind of king he would be. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. We can put all of our hope for living in God's blessing and God's king. Why? Because of the kind of actions that he will perform. Look at what it says. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We can place our hope in him because of the kind of actions that he performs. Look at what he says. He will judge. We can hope in him because he will judge. He will decide disputes for the poor and the meek. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. He will execute judgment according to the perfection of his word. That's the kind of king that, we, that God provides. And he will kill the wicked with the breath of his lips. He's going to judge. He's going to decide. Judge? That doesn't seem right. Right? I mean, judgment doesn't sound like hope, does it? I mean, justice sounds great, right? That's the cry of our culture, appropriately so. We should desire justice in our world, amen? Justice is good. But I think most of us would understand that the world in which we live cries out and longs for justice, but they want absolutely nothing to do with judgment. You can't have one without the other. You can't have justice without judgment. And yet, in some ways, we admit we do want judgment on those who are unjust, don't we? I mean, of course, we'd want judgment on Hitler. We'd want judgment on bin Laden. We'd want judgment on Epstein. In our day, we want judgment on Putin. So when we, we realize there is a connection between decisions and actions and 
the executing of judgment and punishing those who are evil. We want justice. We want judgment. We want justice to be executed. We want all that is wrong and evil to be dealt with in a just way. We want, we want the marginalized and the poor to be protected and avenged. Amen? We want that. We want evils in our world to be effectively confronted. Don't we? But here's the issue. Who is to be that judge? Because oftentimes the challenge when someone judges you, because I think like one core conviction of our culture is don't judge me. Like that's numero uno. Don't judge me. Or another way it's often asked is this, who are you to judge me? What kind of person do you think you are to judge me? I think that's important. We hope for justice, and we realize we do hope for judgment on all that is evil in this world. But the question is, who is to be that judge? Who's the one that will decide the disputes? Who's the one? I mean, we look in our world and we say, yeah, judges and people in that, those kinds of positions, they, they, they have to look and evaluate the evidence of what has taken place, of who people are, and they have to make decisions. But every time they do that, they do so imperfectly, don't they? Judgment this side is based on what we see, based on what we hear, to the best of our ability. And of course, we, we even recognize that many people in their judgment are affected by their experiences and their biases. And so we question judgment. Who are you to judge? How do you really know for certain what I, who I am and what I've done? Who has the stature? Who has the integrity? Who has the character to bring real justice and the judgment that is necessary to bear? Isaiah 11 tells us it's a different kind of judge, right? God's king would judge in a different kind of way, not simply by what is seen and heard on the surface. He's not limited or affected by biases or other obstacles to perfect judgment. No, righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. Righteousness. Faithfulness, the belt of his loins. He'll judge with equity. Amen? The very thing we crave is the very thing God provides, but he does so in one king, his king. Faithfulness, equity, righteousness, completely and perfectly. What one commentator says, those characteristics tell us that this is divine characteristics. These are divine characteristics. And understanding it to be a son of David, what we have is a king who has divine characteristics, who lives as a human, a God-man. That's what this king, who this king is, who this king will be. And this king is a judge that we can hope for 
and depend on. He's a judge that we can trust, amen? Because of the kind of judge that he is. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's equitable. Perfectly, purely, and completely. You can place your hope in him. Because of the kind of actions he performs. And last, you place your hope for living in God's blessing and God's king because of the kind of results his kingdom will provide. Don't miss 6 through 10. I'm going to try to wrap it up as briefly as I can. Don't miss it. Don't miss the kind of results that this kingdom would provide. I must admit something to you, and I may embarrass myself a little bit, okay? I'm probably the only person here that sometimes gets lost in reels, right? Whether it's Instagram, whatever gram you're on, Facebook, you know, maybe I'm the only person that sometimes gets lost in a reel. I've tried to make a few reels. They're a lot of fun. Uh, no one seems to think so. Though. I didn't get any social capital from my reels, so I, I stopped. But, you know, maybe I'll give you another one this Christmas. I don't know. You be on the lookout for that. But sometimes I get lost in reels. And, you know, there are some reels you just zoop, 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 zoop. That's the nature of it. Like our head's spinning while we're looking at reels, right? Then all of a sudden you're like, oh. You know which ones I do owe? I can't stop watching. You ready? Well, let me ask it differently. Why do I find it entertaining to see an anaconda eat a pig? <laughs> I just think that, like, look at that. That is crazy. And then you go, like, you get you know, the algorithm. I want another one. And then it's like, dude, the lion is totally crushing this hippo. Like, he's literally eating his leg off. There's blood everywhere. And, like, I'm like, does anybody know I'm watching this? <laughs> and then the spiders. You know, these little creatures. And you, know, and you got that one guy that's like, I'm about to take a bite from the, from the black widow of the Amazon Andes, whatever region, and they're going to bite me, and it's the most painful venom. And he's got that cup, and, he's, and all of a sudden he's like, ah! And I'm like, this is so fun. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, I'm lost in them. I can't stop. I'm addicted. Pray for me. Honestly, I just think animals are crazy. Like, I'm always a little uncomfortable around an animal. Like, I'm not a man at peace around animals. You know, I'm a little uncomfortable. I get a little shaky. You know, there's a spider in the corner of the room, and it's like, survival of the fittest, baby. We're going after this thing. That's my life. But look at verse 6 through 10. You see these ants, it's like we're at the zoo. What's going on? A, a wolf dwelling with a lamb? A leopard lying down with a young goat, a lion and a fattened calf together? The bear and the cow? Parents, a cobra and your nursing baby. Identify with that? Hey guys, why don't you let your toddlers just put their hands in the den of an adder? That's a great idea for just killing time. We would never conceive of these things. Such powerful, rich, 
imagery. Why? We see in these verses an unthinkable, unimaginable security and peace between those who would normally be in great hostility toward one another. We see safety when you would expect such danger. That's the kind of kingdom this king will provide. Amen? God's king will bring about a safety and a security. This king will bring the restoration of Eden. Think on that for a moment. That's a powerful thing to think about. Where all of creation lives in peace, security, and harmony. You think of our divided world, stuck in conflict and insecurity, the anxieties that we feel every single day, the discord in our relationships, the wars. This king will bring peace security, safety, not just for some individuals, but for the whole created order. That's the restoration of Eden. That's what this king will provide. That's what every king promises, right? Blessing. Every ruler promises, human rule in our day, promises, I'm going to make it great. It's going to be wonderful. We're going to restore peace. We're going to end conflict. They always seem to flunk in the end because they can't do what this king can do. Can you imagine that kind of world? To live in a world where creatures who are normally and instinctively prey on others or who run for safety in the fear of others now live in harmony and safety. This is the world that we long for. This is the world that God provides in his king. It's so much more than the sentimentality of our bumper sticker piece that say coexist on the back. It's if we all just live together and tolerate one another, that will bring in peace. And by the way, please be nice and respectful to people who disagree with you. I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying it's surface. It's, it's, it's superficial. It's sentimental. It's bumper sticker peace. It doesn't provide the kind of peace that we really need and the kind of peace that we long for. No, this king brings an all-encompassing, never-ending peace, the very thing we long for. Amen? That's why we can trust in this king, because of the kind of results his kingdom would provide. And again, we say, on the basis of what will that peace come? It tells us in verse 9, For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Don't miss that. I don't have much time to talk about it, but don't miss it. For there to be peace, all-encompassing peace in all of creation, guess what? That place must be full of the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge of the Lord. All will know the Lord. All will live in peace and harmony and full knowledge of the Lord. You cannot have peace without knowledge of the Lord. You must know the Lord, right? It, it, knowledge of the Lord brings peace. Truth brings peace, not tolerance. The truth of the Lord brings peace, not my truth. Truth of the Lord, knowledge of the truth of the Lord is foundational to peace.
He ends by saying, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day is a phrase that points us forward. I understand, people of Israel, people of Judah, you're living in that day. You're living and hearing of this desolation. Uh, I'm sorry, you're living in this day. But guess what? There will be another day. And I wonder if some of us need to hear that this morning. In your day, in your moment of darkness and despair, in the midst of your hopelessness, in the midst of your fears and insecurities, guess what? I understand you're in that day. You're in this place. But guess what? There will be another day that will be characterized by a very different thing. This creates an expectation of a whole different kind of life that comes from the rule and reign of this king. It's a day in which God's king ushers in God's kingdom, full of his blessing, devoid of all that is evil and sinful in this world. Can you imagine? Can you envision that? It's a day in which all people from every nation would draw near and inquire of this king. It's a day in which all of God's people will rest in God's glory. Oh, weary saint, there will be a day, as Jeremy Camp says, right? There will be a day. And you will rest in glory in the blessing of his king. Is that your hope? Is that what you find your heart drawn to in difficulty? Or is it like Ahaz? I got my own plans. I got my own goals. And I got my own schemes. I got my own ideas about how to make my life better and safer. We do this. We come up with our own ways and ideas and plans. And we assume it'll get us there. But what God is saying in all of these chapters is trust in me. Trust in my king. Submit to me. Run into my arms. You can have hope in me. All of our hope for living in God's blessing is in the rule of God's king. Amen? So the question becomes, who is God's king? Who is God's king? The wonderful news is, unlike those who heard this in Isaiah's time, there's no question about who the specific identity of this king is anymore. We know who he is. And all the more our hope is deepened as we consider him. Because his coming into the world all the more shows God's faithfulness to his promises to his people. It deepens and reinforces our faith. And it heightens and highlights the hope that we have. Who is God's king? You tell me his name. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the shoot of Jesse. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the Spirit-filled Son of God. Jesus is the righteous judge. Jesus. And Christmas celebrates the actual historical coming of King Jesus 2,000 years ago. God's promises were fulfilled in Jesus. 
came, he lived, he died. Not just as a king, but as a servant. He freely, willingly, voluntarily gave up his life for those who would become citizens of his kingdom. Amen? That's Jesus. He became a curse so that you could live in God's blessing. Amen? He rose again, victorious over our greatest enemy, Satan, sin, and death. And he will come again soon. And he will bring the fullness of his kingdom. And he will judge in righteousness and in faithfulness. He will provide eternal peace and security. He will give rest in the glorious presence in the heavenly kingdom. He will bring all of God's blessing that he promised and secured. And he will give it. And he will give it to those who have faith in him. Those who place their hope in him and in him alone. So as you journey through the dark shadows of sin and suffering, trust in Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. As you wrestle with the despair and the hopelessness, hopelessness that you have in your marriages, in your parenting, in your workplaces and dreams and ambitions, as you wrestle with the difficulty in, in relationships, as you face illnesses and physical suffering, as you deal with insecurities and fears and sorrows that are unknown and the disappointments that this world gives us, trust in Jesus. Place your hope in Jesus. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from the false saviors. Turn away from your own schemes and ideas and trust and hope in Christ Jesus. That's where all your hope is found. Apart from him, you have no hope. There's no one left. There's nothing else. It's only Christ. Bringing us back for just one final moment to Mordor. As you journey through the dark shadows of sin and suffering, lift your heads, saints, and look up. See the star twinkling, shining. A star is the promises of God. And the closer we get and uh, the more we gaze, the more we realize that it's Christ himself shining on us. And know this truth. As we exile and as we journey, with the twinkle in the horizon. Know this, that in the end, in the end, the shadow is only a small and passing thing. There is light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. Do you believe that today? Trust in Him. All of our hope for living 
And God's blessing is in the rule and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in a dark, despairing world. We receive the hope that you have given us in Christ. I pray that you would encourage and build up and strengthen those who are weak. I pray that if there's anybody here today that has not placed their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, I pray they would do that. I pray that each one of us here would walk away with such hope. Our greatest days are not behind us. You have so much for us ahead. Our sin, our suffering, our struggle is only a small and passing thing. Praise you for Jesus, the hope of the world. In his name we pray. Amen. This time